We're, we're going to stray today from our series through the Gospel of John. Uh, being that it is uh, New Year's and all, it's the first Sunday of the year, what I thought it'd be, be fun to do is to just kind of take some time and to think and pray through this upcoming year together. Uh, I know that many of us over the last few weeks or last uh, month or so have probably been thinking through some resolutions and some plans and some goals and some dreams for 2015. And so what I'd like to do today is talk about that a little bit. Um, just out of curiosity, who, who does New Year's resolutions? Who comes up with some New Year's resolutions here? Gosh, you guys, really? One, two. You guys have just ruined my message. <laughs> All right. So, so is any, nobody's wanted to lose some pounds, or not that you need it, or, or, uh, <laughs> or cut back on coffee, or um, nothing. All right. Everybody's good then, right? Well, then what are we doing here? Um, well, I'm, I've come up with a list. Um, I've come, I do it every year, uh, but I've come up with my goals. There's plenty of areas, plenty of, of things that I want to uh, grow in and, and, and change this upcoming year. Um, but, but one thing, I'm doing it kind of a, in a different way this year. I'm kind of coming at this from a different angle this time. So instead of asking, like normal, uh, what do I want to do in 2015, I'm asking, what do I want to be in 2015? Okay, there's a big difference between that question, between those two questions. Okay? Rather than asking, what do, you, what do I want to do in 2015, it's what do I want to be in 2015. And so what I'd like to do this morning is ask you that same question. Would you ask that same question? Just a few days into the new year, what do you want to become in 2015? And after all, we are at church. Let's ask it this way. What does God want you to become in 2015? Um, on on, on the, the deepest, most fundamental level, on the, on, the, on the macro level, I can actually give you the answer to that question. Um, he wants you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's what he, I say that on the authority of the scriptures. That's what he wants you to become. But, but we're going to talk on the micro level. That's the macro level. On the micro level, uh, what does he want you to become in 2015? In other words, what steps does he want you to take this year on your journey towards becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Okay? On, on, well, in 2015, what steps does he want you to take in your journey towards becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus? I want to I ask you that question. I'm going to ask if you'd be willing to, to ask yourself that question. And uh, I'll just kind of warn you up front, this message is going to be a little self-indulgent because I can't, I can't answer that for you, but I can't answer it for me because I've been, I've been thinking about it and praying about it for weeks and months now. Um, I can't answer it for you, but I can't answer it for me. Therefore, we're going to talk about what God wants me to become. Sorry. Um, but it's going to be awkward if you walk up, get up and, and walk out now, so you're stuck. Um, I studied a passage of Scripture earlier this fall, nine, nine verses, and uh, as I was studying that, that passage, there were these three characteristics that just let me, felt like they were leaping off the page and just kind of beckoning me towards them. Um, and, and so these three characteristics are what I'm praying for and striving for in 2015. This is what I want to become. Here are the three characteristics. Courage humility, and discipline, okay? I'm going to become more courageous, more humble, and more disciplined. No big deal, right? Sure, no problem. Um, what I'd like to do today is just look at the passage of Scripture that, that inspired me towards these three characteristics. I want to chat briefly through each of those, and then what I'd like to do is we're going to end our time with just some, a time of, of prayer and reflection. I just want to invite you to, to ask that same question. I want, to, I want to see if you would be willing to ask God, God, what do you want me to become in, in 2015? We may not be able to have the lightning bolt. We may not all walk out of here having the answer, but hopefully we'll be on our way towards that answer. Okay? So open your Bibles if you haven't yet, and we're turning to Joshua chapter 1. 
That's Old Testament today. We haven't been in the Old Testament for a while. That's the sixth book of the Bible, okay, if you need some help getting there. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read through verses 1 through 9. While you're turning there, let me give you some quick context. So um, if you never read the Old Testament, here's, here's uh, how, how it starts. It starts with uh, uh, God calling out a people unto himself, this, this people group, the nation of Israel. Okay? And we, we find out uh, shortly that the, the, this, this small people group finds himself in, in Egypt, and they are oppressed, and eventually they're, they're in, uh, made to be slaves. And so God flexes his muscle. He, he delivers them out of the nation of Egypt. He leads them out in power. He, he declares his love for them and his plan for them, to plan to bless them, a plan to use them, to display his glory among the nations. Uh, and then he tells them he's, he's, he's set apart a land for them where they're going to live, and they're going to live in shalom. It's just this, in harmony, and in peace, and in joy, and he's going to provide for them, and they're going to flourish as a people. Okay, and so God leads this nation of Israel up to the border of this, of this promised land, okay, up to the border, and what Israel does is they then send in a, a dozen spies, a dozen men, to go in and kind of get a lay of the land. And so if you remember the story, 10 of the spies come back saying, there's no way we're going in there, not a chance, God says, we'll live and we'll be fruitful and all that, but if we go in there, we're going to die. We're not going in. But the other two spies come back saying, are you kidding me? Of course we're going in. The land is awesome. Just like God said, it would be, it's great. We're going in. And yes, sure, there are people that would oppose us. There will be all kinds of opposition. But if God is for us, who can stand against us? Okay? And so, uh, but if you remember the story, the ten, the ten kind of won the rest of the people over. And the nation as a whole rejects God's plan. They say, no way, we're not going in. Not a chance. Okay? So God basically says, okay. Um, your will be done, is what he tells you. You, you want to stay out here in the wilderness, so be it. And so the, the Israelites wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until every person from that generation eventually passes away, including their leader, Moses. So when Moses dies, there's only two men that last from that generation. It's the two spies, Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua, when, when, when Moses dies, Joshua is thrust into a position of leadership. He takes Moses' position over the nation of Israel. And so then God brings them back, this new generation of Israelites, brings them back to this, the border of this promised land. And God tells Joshua, okay, it, it's time. Lead this people into this land. Here's, here's where I am leading to. This is the life that I have, have set apart for you. And so God commissions Joshua, and that's where we find ourselves in Joshua 1. God commissions Joshua for this task, and he basically tells him, here's what I need you to know, and here's what I need you to do to, to lead my people into the life that I've set apart. So we're all together? All right, so here's, here's where we find ourselves. Joshua chapter 1. And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon and, and as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. 
Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Courage, humility, and discipline. Did you guys see it in there? We'll start, we'll start with courage. Three times God says the same thing to Joshua. Three times. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. He ends, verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Why, why would God spend so much time repeating the same thing over and over? Why would he emphasize that so much? Well, because obviously God knows that what Joshua and the Israelites are about to face has the great potential to, to make them very, very afraid. Joshua and the Israelites were about to walk into a land inhabited by seven different nations that are known for their brutality, their savagery, their, their strength, and their size. Okay, the land that God, that, that God is giving to them is not going to come to them easily. There's going to be violent opposition every step of the way. And so God knows that there is going to be a time in, in Joshua's life, maybe even in that very moment, when, when Joshua is going to feel too weak, too scared, and too inadequate for the task at hand. And so God says over and over, be strong and courageous. Joshua, are you listening? Be strong and very courageous. Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And listen, this, this exhortation towards strength and, and courage is not for Joshua alone. It's important that we recognize that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, now these things happen to them. He's talking about the events in the Old Testament. These things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instructions. In other words, these things had purposes in the present for those people in the Old Testament. They had their purposes, but they were written down for our sake, that we might learn and that we might understand, that we might know God and his promises and his character, that we might know ourselves. These things were written down for our instructions. He says the same thing in Romans. He says, For whatever was written in former days, Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. In other words, the Old Testament, what we just read, was, was, was recorded, written down in part, so that we could learn from stories like Joshua 1. This exhortation to strength and courage is not just for Joshua, but it's for me and it's for you. And guys, this is great news, is it not? I can only speak for myself here, but I, honestly, I need to hear and apply these words to my life daily. I cannot, I cannot tell you. I've got to begin to tell you just how often I feel too weak and too inadequate to, to, to properly love and to shepherd my family, to, to properly love and to shepherd this church. That's why I spend so much time in, in passages like Joshua 1 where I hear God say, Philip, be strong and courageous. I, think, I, I don't think I'm the only one that needs to hear that today. I don't think I'm the only one that's going to need to hear that this, this year. We have no idea what 2015 holds. You know, we hope and pray that it's a year full of, you know, blessing and, and, and prosperity and generosity and fruitfulness. But who knows? It, it, this could be a year. 2015 could be the year of sorrow. We could look back on 2015 and it could be marked with, with uh, you know, death and, and storms and trials and want and heartache. We don't know. We have no idea at the obstacles and the trials that we're going to face this year. In fact, some of you might even be in it right now. You're four days in and you're like, I'm already there. You know, I, maybe, you're, maybe there's some stuff going down in your life that just don't seem to make, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And honestly, if, if you really take a second and be, be honest with yourself, it's really starting to shake your faith a little bit in God. 
Maybe you've got some doubts in your heart and in your mind. Maybe, maybe you're, you've got some sin in your life right now that you just can't seem to make any headway against, and you're thinking, man, is God really powerful enough to deal with this junk in my life? Maybe you're facing those giants in the fortified cities that Joshua and the Israelites were about to face. Listen to God as he says, Rod, be strong and courageous. Sandy, be strong and courageous. Mo, be strong and courageous. Myron, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. He says it over and over and over. And there's a reason for that. Be strong and courageous. And God even shows us why we can have courage in the face of these obstacles, in the face of these trials, in the face of this adversity. Verse 3, he says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Did you hear that? Look at the, see the word given? That's past tense. Past tense. Do you understand what that means? That means the land already belongs to them before they've even set foot on it. All they have to do is step out in faith and, and, and claim what God has already given to them. That's amazing. And it's the same thing for us. This is not just a promise for the Israelites. In Ephesians chapter 1, this is New Testament, Paul says God has blessed us, past tense. He, he has blessed us, past tense, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We don't have to go out and earn it. We don't have to go fight for it. We just have to step out in faith and receive it. This is why we can be strong in the face of adversity, because the battle's already been won. It's finished. The, the, the victory has been won in Jesus Christ, and he offers us the spoils freely. And, and, and if we let that change us, and we live in that each and every day, this will utterly change the way we approach 2015. Think about it. We don't need to spend 2015 making something of ourselves because our identity is already wrapped up in Jesus Christ. How freeing is that? We don't need to spend 2015 frantically trying to build that nest egg, hoarding all of our resources for ourselves. We can give it away. Why? Because our riches are found in Jesus Christ. We don't need to spend 2015 in anxiety and dread, afraid of taking risks, afraid of trying new things. Since our self-worth is wrapped up in Jesus Christ and in what he has done, we're finally free to, 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 to live radically daring lives. We're free to fail. It's okay to fail because our self-worth is wrapped up in Jesus. Have you thought about that? The amount of courage that, that Jesus has given us because of what he's accomplished? We can risk everything in this world because we recognize that our life on this planet, maybe, maybe it's, it's hard to remember this, but our life on this planet is like morning dew. It's like a passing breeze. It's here today, and before you know it, it's gone. We can risk everything because we know that true life, eternal life, real life is secure for us in Christ. We don't need to make 2015 about using people to get ahead. Because the reality is there is no more ahead than where we, we are right now. <laughs> if you are in Christ, you're a son or a daughter of the Most High King. You're a prince. You're a princess. I, I, I remember, I didn't write it down. C.S. Lewis said something about, um, he said, the man who has God and everything in this world, has no more than the man who just has God. And I think he's right. And when we get that, that we have everything in Christ, and when we get that, it, it, it'll change everything. If we know that the king and the creator of our universe loves us and values us so much that he died for us, that we might be adopted into his family as children, 
If, if you can get that in, in your heart and in your mind, how, how do you think that'll change when the person two cubicles down from you criticizes you? Who cares? Who cares? The king and creator of the universe loves you and values you enough to die for you. That changes everything. If, you, if we can remember that Jehovah Jireh, the, the great provider, the owner of cattle on a thousand hills is our dad, how do you think that will change our perspective if we get laid off this year? How do we think that will change our, our sense of security if we get laid off this year? It will change it all. It will change everything. If we know that the battle, the battle, the capital B battle has already been won by Christ and that we have every spiritual blessing in him, then, then every little battle that we face today, and there will be battles, every little battle that we face today and through this year should be seen through a radically different lens. Amen? This is the courage that we can walk forward with this year. And we not only have strength and courage because of what, of what God has done for us in the past, but also what he continues to do in the present, through his presence. He is with us. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that leads me to the second characteristic that I'm praying for and striving for in 2015. It's humility. Humility. Because notice that God doesn't say, Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Look, look, at, look at how your numbers have swollen over these last 40 years. Look, look at how, you know, look at, look at all that walking. Man, that's really, that's really made your, your guys strong. All that wandering around. Look, look at how well trained your army. Joshua, just believe in yourself. You can do it. Don't be afraid. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because I've got this. I'm going with you. That's really humbling, isn't it? We're utterly dependent upon God, not ourselves, upon God to walk into the life to which he has called us. And by the way, this is why the message of Christianity is so offensive to so many people. Because the message of the gospel, the message of Christianity is this, that you and I are so wicked and so weak and so frail and so inadequate that we are utterly lost and condemned and helpless without God's intervening hand every step of the way. You can understand why some people get offended at the message of Christianity. Because the Bible, the Bible clearly says it's because you guys are so wicked, so weak, so inadequate, so frail, so prone to wander, prone to leave God, that the only way, your only hope for salvation is through me. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Paul said it like this. He said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Amen? <laughs> for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Amen? All right. <laughs> Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the humility that I want to walk in this year. To walk in the understanding that my salvation, my sanctification, that's just a fancy word for growth becoming more like Christ, growth, growth and godliness, that to, 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 to walk in the understanding that my salvation and my sanctification, that my gifts, my fruitfulness, that anything good that I have or anything good that I can accomplish comes not by my might nor by my power, but by his spirit, that the battle belongs to the Lord. That's what I want to walk in this year. I want to walk through 2015 with an understanding that I'm dependent upon God's faithfulness and God's power, not my faithfulness and my power, because the reality is, I'll fail. 
I know there will be times where I will leave him and I will forsake him because my heart, I said, my heart is prone to wander. My heart is prone to leave the God I love. But my hope rests in the promise that although I might leave and forsake him, he will never leave and forsake me. That when I am faithless, he remains faithful. These are the, these are the promises in the scriptures that I, I'm going to hold on to this year. I was reminded of a story I heard a while ago um, about a, a guy named Tien. And I actually I shared this story maybe a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago uh, now. But um, some of you might have been here. But in the er- early 70s, Tien was a uh, young, energetic uh, Vietnamese Christian, okay? He probably is late, late teens, early 20s, uh, Vietnamese uh, young man. He was a Christian. He worked as a translator with the American military when, when we were in, in, in Vietnam. And he also worked as a translator for the Christian missionaries from the West that were working in Vietnam. Well, when, when uh, the war ended and, you know, Vietnam fell, uh, Hien was, was arrested. He was, he was charged with helping out the Americans. And so he was put into prison. And day after day, his jailers tried to indoctrinate him against the West and against, you know, particularly his Christian faith. And so he was only allowed to read this communist propaganda. He was only allowed to speak and read in, uh, uh, in uh, French and Vietnamese. And uh, eventually, day after day, this propaganda that they forced him to read, this daily intakes of this, of this Marxist uh, uh, literature, started to get to him. And he thought, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I have been lied to all this time. Maybe there really isn't a God. And so he uh, determined that day, one, one day, that, that uh, when he woke up the next morning, he wasn't going to pray anymore. He was done. There, there is no God, he said. And so the next morning, just as he, uh, just as he had, had committed, he, he woke up and he didn't pray. And the, the jailer came into where he was uh, staying and, and said, Hien, you've got latrine duty. You've got latrine duty. And so he had to, to walk in and, and, and clean the prison latrines, the prison bathrooms. You can imagine just how filthy of a job that was. And so he just groaned to himself and he marched off to the latrines. What, what a great start to his new life. Well, um, he tells a story that as he was cleaning the bathrooms, as he was cleaning out uh, the tin can that was overflowing with used toilet paper, um, he caught a glimpse in the can of what looked like uh, this, this, this scrap of paper that had what looked like English writing on it. And he hadn't been able to, to read or speak English for so long. He got really excited. When nobody's looking, he grabbed a little piece of paper, kind of washed it off with a little bit of water he had, and he stuffed it in his pocket. Okay? And, and he, he was just so excited uh, to, to read this, this little uh, scrap of English. And so that night when all of his bunkmates fell asleep, he pulled out that little uh, filthy piece of paper, and he held it up to the light, and it said on, on, the, on the paper, and in English it said, Romans 8. Romans 8, and it said this, just trembling, and this is what he read. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And if you went on reading, for I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he ends just lay in his bed, weeping, weeping. Asking God for forgiveness for doubting him. Thanking God that, that, that even though he was faithless, God was faithful. You see, our, our, our security, our fight, our victory is not through the strength of our faith. It's, it's through the strength of the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is strong and he does not break his promises. So I'm praying for and I'm striving for courage, for humility, and then finally for discipline. 
verse 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, if you're paying attention, this is really interesting. We've just spent the last 10 minutes talking about how our victory only comes through Christ, only comes by the Spirit of God, that, that, that the battle belongs to the Lord. But here, it just said, if you're, if you're listening, do you want your way to be prosperous? You want to have good success? Then read your Bible and obey it. So which is it? <laughs> where, where, from where, where does our victory come? Is it come through God's effort or our effort? And the answer is Yes. Both. Look at Philippians 2. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So on the human side, on the human side, we are responsible to work out our salvation. Now notice I didn't say work for our salvation. We cannot earn our salvation. That is a gift from God. That's grace. Okay? We cannot work for salvation. Paul didn't say that. He said, work out your salvation. Okay? Work it into your life, every area of your life. We, we like to say that it's like when you're making cookies and you put butter in the, in the batter and you stir it in and you want to make sure that it, you know, it goes through all of the you know, consistency. You work out your salvation. That, that's, that's on uh, the human side. That's on the human responsibility. But on the divine side... It's God who, who gives us both the desire and the power to actually let that happen. You follow me? This is important that we understand the distinction here. But according to the Bible, a balance must be struck between dependence and discipline. Dependence and discipline. Godliness, on this, a godliness can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Godliness is becoming like Christ, growing to be more like Christ. We're made in his image, we're made to, to look like him and to act like him and to think like him. Okay, our godliness can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are utterly dependent upon his spirit. However, there is no growth in the Christian life apart from discipline. There is no growth in the Christian life apart from discipline. It is God who gives us the desire and the power to work out our salvation, but it comes through discipline. It's by God's power, and it's through our discipline and obedience. Um. Godliness won't just happen to you. It doesn't just, doesn't just happen to you. Paul told Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You, you will not just wake up one morning and be godly, be like Christ, unless you're dead, okay? And then we're transformed and that's all great. On this planet, you will not just wake up and instantaneously, haphazardly, just wake up and be like Jesus. It doesn't happen that way. That's why the New Testament is full of commands for us to believe and obey and to fight and to hold fast and to pursue. Those are action words. Those are verbs. Those are action words. That's why Paul uses the metaphors of an athlete and a soldier and a farmer to help us to understand that to live the victorious, the abundant Christian life, it will only come through discipline and intentionality. It's important for us to remember this year. And according to Joshua 1, this discipline... Um, is, is basically, it's listening to God's word and applying it to your life. It's pretty simple. 
listening to God's word and applying it to your life. Joshua here is told to do three things with God's word. Uh, First, he is told to uh, not let the scriptures depart from his mouth. Not let the scriptures depart from his mouth. In other words, he's to talk about God's word. He's to teach it. He's to proclaim it. He's to wrestle uh, with it in the context of relationship. Talk about it with other people. And that's what we're doing right now, by the way. That's That's what we do in community groups. Paul said something really similar. He told Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of scripture. Okay, this is why we hold such a high value on our Sunday worship gatherings where we talk about the scriptures. And why we hold such a high value in our community groups where we wrestle together through the scriptures. Second thing Joshua was told to do is to meditate on God's word day and night. To think about it consistently, in other words. Not just on Sundays, one day of a week, but, but every day to, to, to meditate, to ponder, to wrestle through God's word. And again, this is just one of the many places in the scriptures where we're told how important it is to have a consistent time with the Lord throughout the week. Each and every day, have some time in God's word. D.L. Moody, he said this once. I like how he said this. He said, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. So do you see what he's saying? He's saying God's word to us is, is like, it's like the food that, that sustains us. It's like the, bre- the air that we breathe. And to just come in here just to take one breath on Sunday morning and assume that we can live for the next seven days and thrive, it's absurd. It's like, oh, I'll see you guys next week. You know, it's... <laughs> Jesus said something really similar. He said, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's, that, that's the food that we, that, that we feed on. And again, that's, we come in here and, we, and we, we, we eat, we feed together on God's word. Imagine that you were to, to, to have one meal, one meal during the week, Sunday mornings. You come and you, just, you, you eat one thing. How do you think that you're going to, Monday morning you're going to need to eat again. You're going to be hungry, Right? You're not going to be, be thriving throughout the week. You're not going to be at, at, at your strongest. You're going to be it's unhealthy not to eat throughout the week. God says, or Jesus says, uh, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's our true sustenance. And, and far too often, I'm not, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know many of you guys are, have, have thriving uh, uh, times with, with, with God and his word all throughout the week. And that's great. But for some of us, perhaps, maybe you're starving throughout the week. Expecting one Bible study on Sunday morning to fill you up for seven days. But friends, if my sermons, if these sermons on Sunday morning are, are the, the sole source of feeding from God's word for you, I can almost guarantee you, and I'm saying this in love, I can almost guarantee you that your faith is, is weak and emaciated. Weak and impotent. Do you remember that, do you remember that one place in Hebrews where the writer says, uh, he says, um, or he or she, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, could have been a woman. He, he or she wrote, uh, you, you all should be eating solid food by now, but you're still drinking milk. Remember, remember when, when the Hebrew, it says that in Hebrews? It, you, you should be eating solid food by now, but you're still drinking milk. Do you, do you know what I think he was saying? Or she, sorry. You're still dependent on somebody else to feed you when you should be feeding yourself by now. You're still dependent on somebody else to be feeding you when you should be you know, feeding yourself right now. Basically, he's saying you're still breastfeeding. I'm going to get on a soapbox here for a second. Um, but I, to be honest, I've, I've never understood 
the stories, when I hear about people who have been Christians for five years, 10 years, 20 years, who will leave churches because they say, you know, I'm just not being fed. Do you know what the writer of Hebrews would tell that person? Go feed yourself. Go feed yourself. You're still, you're still trying to breastfeed from the pastor. If you see somebody who's 10 years old trying to breastfeed, something is not right. Right? This is, I didn't say it. This is in the Bible. <laughs> what, I'm, what, what I am doing here cannot be, cannot be your primary feeding from God's word for the week. If you want to be spiritually mature, and, I, and, and nine out of ten of you here, that, that's your desire. That's why you're here. To move into deeper spiritual maturity, you must learn to feed yourself. You must make it a priority. This means regularly making time to study God's word on your own. And, and, and maybe, maybe that's your desire. Maybe that's one of your, your, your resolutions for this year, your goals for this year. If you're not sure where to start, let me give you a suggestion. Read the Bible with me. I posted just a few days ago uh, a, a Bible reading plan on our Facebook group for our church. Um, you, can, you can download the PDF on, from, from Facebook. And if you, you're like me and you want a physical copy, we put a bunch of physical copies out there on the Connection Center. And you can keep it in your Bible and you can check it off as you're reading. But read through the Bible this year. Because but the reality is, m- most of you are here because you're saying, I'm going to base my life on the teachings of the Scriptures. But for some of you, maybe you've actually never read the Scriptures. Do you see the problem there? I'm going to base, base my life on the authority of the Bible that I've never read. So for some of you, maybe that's, that's, a, great, that's a great next step for you to take, is, is to actually read the Bible from cover to cover. And that might sound a little overwhelming to you. Um, you know what I read this week? I said it takes the average reader about 70 hours to read the, the Bible from cover to cover. Do you know, 70 hours is a long time, but you know, that's less time than the average American spends watching television in a month, okay? So in other words, if you would just, if, if, if somebody, if the average person, average American would just simply substitute their TV watching time with reading the scriptures, you could read the Bible in less than four weeks, okay? Um, that still sounds sound a little overwhelming to, to some of you, and that's, and that's okay, um, Think of it this way. If you're willing to take about 15 to 20 minutes a day with God's holy word gifted to us, God's holy word, the the scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation and to equip us for every good work. Okay, this God's holy word, if you're willing to give it 15 to 20 minutes a day, you you can read through the Bible in less than a year. Okay, so you can grab one of those Bible reading plans. Let's read through the Bible together. Um, so Joshua is told, first, to, to not let the Scriptures depart from his mouth. Second, he's told to, to meditate on it day and night. And then third, he's told to do what it says, to obey God's Word completely, to not turn to the right hand or to the left. Uh, Thomas Watson said this once. He said, medicine is no good unless it's taken. Medicine is no good unless it's taken. And he's got a point. Um, it's, it's not enough just, you know, to, you know, take the pills uh, in, in the bottle that could help you get healthy and just simply read the label on the outside or even take the pill out and study it and analyze it and to determine all of its contents and to look at the color and the shape and all that, you actually have to take it into you and let it change you if you want it to do its job. Medicine is no good unless it's taken. It's not enough just for us to, to read the Bible or to study the Bible. We have to actually take it in and let it change us. We have to actually apply it to our daily life. And so what I like to do when I, when I read in the mornings, if, if, uh, I just would encourage you, if you're going to make Bible reading a kind of a new resolution, here's what, what I encourage you to do. This is what I like to do in the mornings before I read. I, st- I start with just a very, very short prayer. I, I basically say, God, you know my day better than I do. 
you know what's ahead. Uh, you know the, the, uh, the tasks that need to be accomplished. You know the meetings uh, that I'm going to have and how they're going to go down. You know the conversations I'm going to have with my wife and with my kids. Uh, you know the temptations that I'm going to face. And so now I ask that as I'm studying your word that you would help me to, to see and to understand and to apply to my life what I need to that I might live for you today. Okay, I just start off with just a real simple commitment and ask God to really speak to me. And then after I've read, I basically then take a moment or two just to kind of reflect and think, is there something that I need to be mindful of today as I'm going throughout my day? Is there something that I need to do today in light of what I just read? I want to just kind of challenge you to do that. Let me finish our time by just saying this. Medicine is, is no good unless it's taken. But sometimes the medicine tastes disgusting, Right? Sometimes the, sometimes the medicine actually makes you feel worse before it makes you feel better, doesn't it? And it's the same thing with God's Word, if we're honest. Studying and applying God's Word can be really, really difficult at times. Especially when you know, being obedient to God's Word means that you have to actually let go of something that you really want. Or say no to something that sounds really good at that moment, really pleasurable in that moment. But just as that, that, that man, Hien, that Vietnamese Christian, read on that little piece of paper, that as, as we obey and as we trust God in the good and the bad, we trust God that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Amen? And let me finish by just telling you the last part of Hien's story. Um, I, I, I mentioned to you that, that, that Hien that night just, just wept on his bed and just asked God, for forgiveness. He, he, he asked God for forgiveness for doubting him and for being faithless, and he, he thanked God for his faithfulness. And then he then went on to, to, to commit himself to the Lord, and he said, God, would you help me to have the discipline to trust and obey you and trust and obey your word even in the darkest of situations? So the next morning, he went to the guard and said, hey, I want latrine duty again. And the guard was kind of taken aback. and said, okay, you can have it. And so Sure enough, Hien went in and went to the tin can overflowing with the toilet paper, and he found yet another scrap of paper, scrap, scrap of a scripture, and he went and he kind of took it and washed it off and stuck it in his pocket. Day after day after day after day after day, Hien kept going back, finding more and more scraps of scripture. And what, and what he found out later was that one of the officers had confiscated an English Bible and was tearing out page at a time and using it for toilet paper. Um, Hien voluntarily took the filthiest, most degrading job in the prison so that he could have just another scrap of Scripture that he could pour himself over at night before he went to bed. Um, Hien was eventually released, and as, as, soon as, he, as soon as he was released from prison and back to town, he, he immediately started making plans to, to escape, to leave the country. And so he and 50-some others, they built a boat, and they had this, this escape plan in mind. They're going to go, and they're going to leave Vietnam. Um, and so the, he, he went on to tell the story that the day, the day before they left, four Viet Cong soldiers came and pounded on his door, uh, stormed into their house, held him up against the wall, and said, we hear that you're trying to leave. We hear that you're trying to leave the country and escape. And he and lied to them. He said, no, I'm not. I don't know where you heard that from. That's a, that's a lie. I'm, we're not going anywhere. And eventually, he was able to convince the four Viet Cong soldiers that they weren't going anywhere, that they were going to stay. And so the, 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 the soldiers left. And as soon as they left, Hien was immediately overwhelmed with conviction. He lied. And he knew that in God's word, he, said he, was, he shouldn't have lied. Even for self-preservation, he's like, I shouldn't have lied. And so he got down on his knees and he asked God for forgiveness. He said, God, 
I'm sorry for lying, and if I, I make this commitment to you, if, if, those, if those soldiers come back and they ask me again, I promise I'll tell the truth. I'll be honest. Come what may. If it means I go back to prison, so be it. I'm going to trust and obey you. As, and wouldn't you know it, they came back the next day. They came back the next day. They banged on the door. They held him up against uh, the corner in his house, and they said, we know you're going. Tell us the truth. And he and did. He said, you're right. We're leaving. We're leaving the night. And so the, the four Viet Cong soldiers looked at him and I said, good, we're coming with you. <laughs> and they did. And, and, and Hien went on to say that when they went, they, 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 they took their boat from Vietnam to Thailand. And he went on to say that that night, a storm rolled in. And, and he said, had it not been for the navigating and the sailing ability of those four Viet Cong soldiers, they never would have made it alive. God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Like he in, I too, in 2015, I want to be disciplined in hearing and obeying God's word, even in the dark days, come what may, even if it costs me everything. So these are the three areas I'm praying for and I'm striving for in 2015. Courage, humility, and discipline. That's what the Lord is leading me into. I told you this is a self-indulgent message here. But what about you? What about you? What, what is God calling you to become in 2015? What I'd like to do over the next couple minutes, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Over the next few minutes as we close out our service, what I'd like to do is just, I'd like to spend some time and ask you just to reflect and to pray a little bit. Would you be willing to just ask God that simple question, God, what do you want me to be this year? Maybe he's calling you to what we talked about today, courage or humility or discipline. Maybe he's leading you into something. Maybe he's calling you into greater levels of patience, greater levels of forgiveness towards those who have wronged you. Maybe he's you know, calling you into greater levels of generosity or purity. Ask him. Let's pray.